My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. My name's Taylor. If you haven't been here before, I am the youth pastor. So I have the privilege of hanging out with students. Last night I was out late um, with a bunch of middle schoolers at Bullwinkles. So I have the tough job. Um, Someone's got to be the sacrificial lamb and go out there and race go-karts and do laser tag. And, you know, if I have to, I'll be it, you know. Um, Yeah, everyone wishes they had my job. Kind of. (laughs) Um, but you know this morning I just uh, or man I'm working on this Sunday night transition even I'm I'm wrestling with it you're gonna have to bear with me Um, this evening uh, you know I really believe that God wants to move and show up but uh, I know sometimes this can kind of become a you know, a dialogue of just me talking and doing this. And my hope is that it's just not. Um, I really, I'm just going to share who I am because some of you just don't know who I am. I've been here for four and a half years on staff, but just share a little bit of my story, how I got here, what God's been doing in me over the last year. Um, my last time on the stage preaching was uh, about a year ago and going through the, the Our Father series here. And God has just done so much in me in that time. And I'm just, I just want to share the journey I've been on, share how I'm still processing it and going through it, but more so you, as I kind of let down maybe my walls that you would do the same. Because I know that sometimes uh, it's really hard to experience what God wants to do in our lives when we, we kind of come in and we, we keep the walls up and we, we keep that facade and we put on the mask and, and, and we walk out of here the same way. And that's just not the way God intended this to be. I mean, this intended, as you can see, to be a moment. You know, and that's what I believe. God, Jesus is all about moments. And I believe he, he wants to create a moment tonight, create a moment in this space where you can just really experience him as you let down those walls. So I'm just going to open up, uh, read the passage of scripture we're going to go through tonight. It's uh, John 4. You can join me if you'd like. Um, there is a Bible in the seat in front of you. I tell my uh, students that if you uh, want to know where it's at on Monday, you kind of need to read it on Sunday because we do youth group on Sundays. So, um, but John chapter four, verse one, I'm going to let you go there. I know I'm going to cheat and let you see the wall Bible, but I think it's a lot cooler if you just look in the real Bible because it's really authentic. Um, so follow me here. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. 
He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this as well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on the mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, and the one who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Let's pray. Father, You want to move and you want to work in all of our lives. I believe that. But, you know, we just get in the way so often. And we want to keep you at an arm's distance, at a length, God. And and wherever we're at, wherever we're moving, you're the one who can meet us there. Um, Whether we're struggling with who you are and the hand we've been dealt in this life. um, Whether we're excited about where we are in life. God, you want to meet us there. You want to praise with us. You want to cry with us. You want to worship with us, Father. That's who you are. And so, man, I just pray that you would just come into this space and you would move. I I believe you want to do that. And I I just feel so boldly that, you know, tonight, tonight can just set some people free, God. I know it's going to set me free. I know it's going to set my heart free. But I'm, I'm just praying for other people in this room, Lord, that they would just feel set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I, uh, I grew up in the area. I, uh, grew up with two amazing parents, two of the best leaders that I know to this day. Um, I learned everything from them. They taught me so much about life and really you're the ones that helped me start my journey in faith. Um, and I was the oldest of three brothers. So I've got two younger, two younger brothers is how you do the math there. Um, and 
man, I'm just, if you've been the oldest, you kind of know, uh, man, there's responsibility that comes with that. There's kind of that privilege and that, 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 that you get to speak into their lives and have moments in their lives that are so powerful and so impactful. And I'm just, you know, I'm just really grateful for where I get to be and what I get to do and how God has just placed me in this position. I don't know what it's like being the youngest or the middle. I'm anywhere in the order. I only know the oldest. So I speak from that. Um, but I know that each role has its, uh, has its place where it is celebrated and it's, it's fun. And it also has its hard work as well. Um, and so I, uh, my way of growing up and going to church was, uh, I grew up in the Catholic church and I went to private school. And so, uh, Monday through Thursday, basically my parents would drop me off at my grandparents' house. My grandpa, we'd hop in his, uh, Toyota Tundra and we'd drive like a mile down the road below the speed limit the entire way. And we'd get to church and I'd go in there and they do 20 to 30 minute masses, um, in the Catholic church, at least this one. And so I would go and I would sit through mass as a young guy, excited to get to school because it was right next door and school didn't open up till eight. And I think mass was at like seven thirty or something like that. And so I would sit through mass with my grandpa and then I'd go over and I'd go to school for the day. And so I would go to church Monday through Thursday. Our school always had a service on Fridays. And then I'd go to church with my family on Sundays. I know I'm really special. No, not at all. Um, and so I, you know, I grew up in the church. I really had a good foundation of what, um, of kind of just who God was and that he existed and that he was real and that, that I, I had this belief. It was always there. Um, but as life kind of goes on and, and as things happen, I, you know, I, I go through middle school, I go into public school system, I do all that and I kind of transition through and I, I realize as I look back at some of the season, I really treated God like a cosmic genie. And really, you know, it's like and we, we kind of all have moments where we do that, where we pull close to God in tough seasons. And then when everything starts to get a little bit better, we kind of drift away and say, hey, I think I'm in control. Life's going well. And then we pull close again when things aren't going well. And then we drift. And, you know, that was really a lot of my walk with God um, through most of my life. Um, fast forward to my college years. Um, I I was dating my, I was my senior year of college. I was dating my um, now wife for three and a half years at that point. And we were together and I, uh, I kind of got this, uh, this bug I'll say, right. Um, I wanted to experience college and I felt that I was being tied down by this woman. And you guys all know my amazing wife, Annie, she's a rock. Um, she's the real deal. She carried our relationship for so long and still does. So, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm benefiting from her because she's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, and we've been dating for three and a half years at this point, and I decide, you know, I want to go get a taste of freedom. So I, I, we break up. I, uh, I kind of go and get into alcohol a little bit. I'm not going to say I was an alcoholic or anything like that at that point, but I definitely went and, you know, you're 21. You want to experience that freedom of that and make your decisions. I started pursuing another girl. I started um, really going down a dead-end route real fast. And I got about two weeks into the breakup, and I'm going, what am I doing here? Like, what am I really after? What am I really trying to pursue in all this? And, and you, start, you just kind of start asking those questions. And I left the relationship. I left everything. I hurt people because I thought what I was pursuing would feel like this void I kind of felt in my soul and my, in my heart. And I realized as I got into it that it really wasn't filling anything. And so I go to Annie, and I, I'm going to summarize this statement real gently. She forgave me. Um, it took 
a lot longer than just that statement said to take. And so um, we went through a long, long journey and confession and just lots of things of just me, us getting to this place of where everything was out in the open. And it was, it was really tough. It was really hard, obviously, but our relationship wasn't in a good point to start with um, in, in all respects. And so uh, we go, we, st- we kind of walk through this journey. And what happens is as I go, as we kind of get back together and we do this, I start to experience anxiety and depression in just the most ultimate way. And part of it's probably because of the consequences of it. I, I, I hurt a lot of friendships over the span of a, uh, a season there. And, you know, and then I had to go back and face them. And, but I also look back at that season and I left, you know, because I wanted Annie to fulfill, you know, this void in my heart. I wanted her to, to be able to, you know, fix me, right, and to be forever and, and to have that feeling like, man, every, this is how it's meant to be. And uh, not that it wasn't, but I realized there was a hole in my heart that Annie could never fix, that she could never be really fill. And as I, as I entered into that season of us kind of getting, you know, us healing and restoring and all this, um, this anxiety and this depression hit me like no one's business. And I just was like, every day, I was just struggling to make it through the day. Um, I was trying to make it through my last semester of uh, college and I'm just kind of pushing through and I'm like, you know, if you've been in depression, if you've had anxiety, you know, it's like, it's just like a fog. It just sits there. It's there when you wake up, it's there when you go to bed, you sleep because that's the only time you don't feel it. And, uh, and so you, and that was just my season for so, so long. And I just started to just break and crack with that season because I wanted it to go away. I wanted it to just go away. I'm like, I want things to go back to the way they were because they were so good, I thought. Um, And so as I got into this journey, uh, you know, Annie, once again, just so phenomenal through all this, just never giving up on me, always praying with me. And as I just started to really pursue God in this season, and I really started to get serious about this, I started reading the Bible, realized it wasn't boring. Um, and so I really started to do this. And as I, as I started reading, I started to fall in, you know, in love with God more and more and more. But the anxiety and the depression was not going away. And so finally one night, Annie's like, hey, you've just, you got to surrender this. You got, you got to surrender this over. You, you got to stop hanging on to all this. And so, uh, I basically, uh, on April 20th, 2013, I sat in my college dorm room and Annie led me through, you know, what we like to say is the, is the salvation prayer. And I just went through it and, you know, I'm just surrendering my life and just, you know, telling God, it's like, hey, I, I'm giving this to you. Like, I can't get out of this. I have hit a wall that I cannot go through. And I'm just asking you, you know, like, I mean, that's where I'm at. And, you know, I think sometimes, uh, well, I think a lot of times we pray prayers like that and hope that that's like the genie fix and God was so good because he kept letting the season stay. And so eventually, um, man, I'd say I slowly crawled out of the season over time and experienced healing. But also I would say that I've never been fully out of the woods when it comes to anxiety um, and maybe even depression in some ways. And so I... Uh, I uh, we, we get engaged a year later. I go into my first job uh, in, in marketing going to use my marketing degree, was looking to go into sports marketing, Nike, Columbia, you know it, that was, that was the plan, that was the dream, and uh, I've been working at this job for a year, Annie and I just got engaged, it was a great job, but um, I decided, you know, God had been doing so much work in my heart in this season, I've been pursuing him so violently like I've never had before, and just had this appetite, and so all of a sudden I, I take this I take this step of faith or stupidity and I leave my job after we get engaged. It's like, don't do that. That's not recommended. Um, 
no one thinks you should do that. But I did. And I went three months unemployed to top it off right after that. And it didn't look good. And so eventually we were getting married. It was like a five-month engagement or something like that. And uh, we're getting pretty close. And I'm like, man, I got to get a job. Like, I can't be that guy. And so I ended up working at Starbucks for a couple months, pursuing other jobs, pursuing opportunities. Everything's falling apart. You know, nothing's coming together. And eventually I get a phone call um, from Pastor James because I've been serving around the church, pretty involved and in meetings and different things. But just as a volunteer, just showing up, um, trying to just use whatever I have to just be a part of the kingdom. Right. And and Pastor James calls me up on a night in I want to say January of 2015. And he goes, hey, I've got a job for you. I want you to be the serve pastor. I'm like, I'm like. You know, and it's an emotional moment for me because it's kind of what I wanted, but I wasn't sure that I was like the guy or qualified or any of this stuff. And, you know, it's what I love about James. Uh, I look back and I go, he should have never hired me. He should have never done that. I was a 24-year-old with no experience, a marketing degree, and uh, honestly, barely, you know, saved in a lot of ways. And, you know, that's what I love about James and our, being our lead pastor. He is... Uh, He's not afraid to take chances. He's not afraid to put it all out on the line and, you know, see something. He, he is such a, he is such a G, Jesus leadership when it comes to those things that he's, he sees the potential, you know, and man, I'm just, I'm so, I'm in debt and I'm so grateful for that man. Um, and so, so many others on the staff and those of you, when I came on that really helped me become the leader and the person that I am, because you showed me lots of grace. You did. Um, and so I came on, I was served pastor two years ago. I moved over to youth pastor. So I've been here for four and a half years. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say everything's great and dandy, but about a year and a half ago, and I've, I've shared this a little bit, is I started to have some symptoms come up in my life. And I started to experience some things that were really weird. And I, I couldn't put, I didn't know how to describe. I was basically, I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. And I thought that was just like, you fold your towels, you know, you put your closet color coordinated, you know, that's what I thought OCD was. Um, and so I'd throw it around, you know, just like anyone nonchalantly, like a joke. And, but the reality was it was showing up in my life, um, much differently. And, uh, basically, you know, for instance, how it would show up in my life is I'd, I'd be driving to work, um, and I'd go down the road and I'd have this overwhelming fear that I hit someone or hit a car and I couldn't let that thought go. It would stay there and it would be stuck. And so um, my, my coping mechanism in OCD is what you do is you go and check. And so I go back and I check. And I'm like, all right, all right, I'm good. And so I drive and I'm like, well, what about that other spot? And so then all of a sudden this becomes my drive every time I go somewhere. And it takes me, I remember like I was coming home from Glencoe High School to my house, which is right over here by Century. And it like took me an hour one day. And that was just, that was, that was, nor- I mean, that was what it became. And I had no idea what was going on. I'd start in my master bathroom and I'd be checking faucets, outlets, every room, making sure lights were off. I'd stare at my oven and be looking at it for like 20 minutes sometimes. I'd see it's off. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm like, no, I don't believe it. And I just sit there and I look at it. My hands are dried out because I wash my hands so many times in a day. Um, I had to get specials, I had to get different kinds of soap because I was drying them out and they were cracking because I'm afraid that I'm going to get bacteria on my hands and then I'm going to pass it to someone and then they're going to get sick. And, you know, that's just, that's just where my mind goes. Um, and I, uh, I don't like crowds anymore. 
I love people, but I don't like crowds and just the different things that have gone on. And it's, it's like, it's been such a different season for me. And so when this came on a year and a half ago, I had no idea what was going on. And so I kept it to myself. You know, I just wanted to really do that. Um, and it was tough and it was hard and you have your moments and you're like, you, you kind of start asking God these questions like, why, you know, like I'm serving you, I'm, I'm doing these things and why, what's going on with me? Am I defective? Am I not made to do this? And um, I really started to, you know, ask those hard questions to God. I'm like, I'll, I'll give this up, you know, like I don't need to be a pastor. I don't need to do this because I'm, you know, to me, I've got however many students that I lead, and to me, they're all my sons and daughters um, that I get to be a part of, or my younger brothers and sisters, whatever you want to say, and it's like, man, I just want what's best for them, and so with God, I'm like, God, if I'm not capable of leading this, like, I'll step away. I don't, I don't, I'm not about a position because of this. I'm like, I just, I just want to, whatever your will is, you know, and you just, I had so many, you know, you just have those moments where you want to throw in the towel because you don't know what's going on, and, uh, I walked this journey for a long time. I finally opened up to the staff about just about a, a year ago now, just under a year ago, and uh, shared that with them. And I just went on this journey. And you know, one of the things that's really been helping is I, I've shared is I got around the new year. I started to just get up and I would just spend an hour with God. Like that's what I did. And um, it's kind of weird. It's kind of awkward. Um, people have different ways that they do it and stuff. But for me, I just said, you know, if I'm in this season and it's not going anywhere then I'm stinking, I'm going to draw close to God and I'm just going to go through the season with him. Um, but it took a long time to get to that point of surrender alone. And so that's kind of, this kind of my journey of how I've gotten to this place. There's been a lot of healing that's taken place. Um, and, and how I'm up here, I mean, I'm driving better now. I'm doing lots of things better, but it's still there. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things is my therapist would tell me, you know, as I go through this journey, like Taylor, you know, you're going to want like there was a season there where I wasn't even driving. Annie was dropping me off at work. Coworkers were driving me home. Um, I mean, I was, I was incapable of just about anything. It felt like, and, uh, for a guy who's self-driven and self-motivated and very independent, it was hard to surrender that. And my therapist goes, though, you can't avoid, you you just can't avoid driving. You got to get back on the road. You gotta, you gotta get in these situations that make you feel uncomfortable because you are going to adjust you are going to adjust. You can't avoid it. If you keep avoiding it, it keeps giving it power, you know, is basically the summary of that. And as I, as I look at the story today in John 4, and I see this happening, I see the word avoidance written all over it. Um, there's so much avoidance going on in the story that it's, it's almost, it's just a little ridiculous. So, I, you know, it says, uh, Jesus says he has to go through Samaria, which I think is so crazy because um, if you know the times, you understand that the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along. It's very, I mean, lots of tension, lots of tension, um, lots of things going on because the Jews considered the Samaritans unpure, unclean because they intermarried with the Syrians when the exile happened. I mean, it's just, there's so much tension going on. And so I put a map up here because I just want to show you kind of how this takes place. So um, you can see down here is... uh, Judea, right? There's Jerusalem down here. And oftentimes they travel up to Galilee. And that's what's happening in the stories. The, Jesus and his disciples are traveling up to Galilee. If you were to go straight up, you would just go, boom, right through here, through the place called Samaria, as, or Sychar is the village where this event takes place. 
And so if you were to, you know, basically take a straight line, you'd kind of maybe hit the edge of the circle and go straight up to Galilee. That's the quickest way. That's what we do. That's what Amazon two-day would do, right? They'd go that way. But the reality is, is that that's not how the Jews traveled. The Jews would travel out and around. That's how they did it. That's how they would travel all the way from Judea to Galilee. And you can imagine that takes a lot longer to do. Um, when we were in Israel, we actually learned that they would sometimes actually come up to the edge of Samaria, they camp there for the night, and then they'd basically do a day sprint across Samaria because they didn't want to do it. I mean, it was anything to avoid it. And, you know, I, I think about that, but I also think about the fact that Jesus is alone at the, wo- at the well with a woman, and that was something you definitely did not do at that time. Um, you would never be alone with a woman, especially maybe with how the story portrays this woman. You wouldn't be alone with her at the well. And to go even further, we see, uh, we see, um, I lost my trail of thought. That doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> um, no, we, uh, we see how much this avoidance, though, impacts the story and how much we see it happening. And so as, as you kind of see this unfold, I just I started to look at this and kind of relate it to my own life in this last season I've been in and how much I avoid things, how much I've avoided um, situations, circumstances, conversations, everything in my life um, for so long that as I looked at this last season, I, I think if I was to diagnose some of the things that have come up, that's one of the root things. And so I just kind of want to ask this question tonight. It's like, what are you avoiding? You know, what are you really avoiding? Because I think we avoid things so often, so many times in our life that we kind of actually like, this was the normal route to go. Like everyone knew as a Jew, you'd go this way. You know, you wouldn't, don't go near, don't go near Samaria. Don't go that way. And in our own lives, I think we've created that route as like normal as well. Like we've been avoiding people. We've been avoiding conversations. We've been avoiding um, relationships because it's like the hurt, the pain, the lack of forgiveness. We've been avoiding so much. We avoid the fact that we're in debt. So we just keep spending money. You know, we, we avoid so much. We avoid the fact that we're not well, you know, we're not well, but we just keep pushing through it mentally, physically, spiritually, and we just keep going. And we all have things that we're avoiding in our life, and we've just created this is, this is well, this is normal. You just push through it. You just kind of keep going. You just avoid that person. You don't forgive them. You don't let that offense go. You just, this is the way you walk. And if we look at this, we look at how ridiculous that is. But the truth is, is this is what we've created in our lives. We've created this system in our lives. We've done so much of this. It's like, no, you go through it, not around it. And what we see in the story is we see Jesus, he goes right through it. He goes right into the heart of it. And it's such a powerful, powerful illustration because what I love is this woman is at the well during noontime as well. And if, you, uh, if you've, been, if you've uh, experienced Israel or known anything about like today and how hot it is, it's like you understand that you don't go and get water at noontime. You just don't. You go in the morning and you go at night when it's cooler. You don't go at noontime. You don't go into the well at noontime if you're trying to avoid people. And so we know that there's some kind of reputation with this woman. There's something going on there. There's something in the town, talk, whatever it is, that she's trying to avoid people. And so as we see this story unfold, it's, it's a really powerful thing because we, we see how avoidance shows up in our life. And, and who knows what she's avoiding, but... I think one of the things we can all agree on, no matter what we maybe don't know if we're avoiding things, it's like we can all agree that we're avoiding pain. 
Like, I think we can all agree on that. Like, at some level, we all avoid pain. We all avoid pain. Uh, whatever it takes, we avoid pain. And that's, that's what I do. I mean, I, I do it so often, so regularly. I didn't even know it. I thought, like, avoiding pain, like, this was normal. Like, that's how I lived my life for, for so long. This last year has had to show me that it's like, that is not normal, Taylor. And so I, you know, I do, you know, we all have our coping mechanisms, but we all have ways that we numb the pain and we all do different things to numb the pain. We all have different ways that we numb the pain. And in church, you know, you got to stay away from the big three. You can't go to sex, alcohol, or drugs. Like those are the big three. Stay away from those. Everything else kind of accepted. And it's sad truth, but a lot of us will go to Facebook and numb the pain. Like, we will just scroll through and look at everyone else's life, everyone else, what they're doing, and we'll just get caught up in that, and we won't even deal with the issue that's going on in our own soul. And some of us, you know, we get on the tablets, and we'll numb pain that way. Some of us will throw ourselves into work. We'll numb the pain that way. It's like, you know, there's something's going on between us and our spouse, so we just keep throwing ourselves into work, and then all of a sudden, we're like, we feel like we're letting down our kids, so we just keep throwing ourselves into work, and we just don't have the awkward conversation that we need to have to just let the air out of the room and to get intimate and to be vulnerable and to accept that we might be wrong. And we run from that. That's what we do. I mean, it's human nature to avoid pain, to do whatever it takes. And Jesus is trying to show us a new way to live in the story. He's trying to show it to us. And so as you, as you kind of see the story unfold, I, I love it because Jesus is, goes right to the heart of it, right? He goes right into it, and he goes to this woman. He's sitting at the well, and, he, and you know, I, I think about this so often times of my life. Like, how many times am I sitting there with the person that I'm avoiding that conversation with? I'm avoiding asking them what I need to ask them or, you know, to have it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what if they think this or what if they do that? You know, you know I, I have that so often in my life. And so some, a lot of times I just don't say it. I got to just like keep it to myself. But Jesus enters in with this woman. First off, not supposed to be alone with her. Secondly, she's at the well during noontime. All the red flags are going up. And Jesus goes, hey, would you give me a drink of water? It's like, he engages her. He goes right to it. And all of a sudden she goes, whoa, dude, you know we don't talk to each other, right? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. What are you doing asking me for a drink of water? He's like, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink of water because I have the living water. And which is so interesting because she's like, she's so logical. She's like, dude, where are you going to get this water? You don't have a bucket and you don't have a rope. And this well's pretty deep. I mean, I, th- I think that's a pretty logical response. I think any of us would respond that way. He goes, no, 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 I, I have this living water. And this is a fresh spring bubbling up with inside you, you know, and this, is, this isn't like this water. And yes, he's, he's using a parable here, but what's so, what he's speaking into and I, I think is so powerful because when we were in Israel, we saw these big old cisterns like of places that they would store water because it's not like they get a lot of rain over there. So when the rain comes, they got to store it. They got to put it somewhere. They need to hold on to it till the next rain season comes, till it happens. And so they got to store it in places. And so you have these big old water tanks, basically, that they're storing water in that's just been sitting there. And so this is this kind of that same situation here. You kind of see this as the water's just been sitting here. And Jesus is speaking against that. He's saying, hey, the water I have is not water that's just been sitting there. I have living water. I have it coming fresh, bubbling out of a spring, bubbling out 
coming to the surface. I mean, it's, it's something different. And when I think back about what Jesus is offering in this moment, he's offering to us a way of life that is beyond what we can understand in the sense of, man, he wants us to experience more of him. He wants us to get, to get on his level and to realize that what we're settling for, this way of life, is not the way he intended it to be. And when we get more theological, we understand that when we surrender our life, when we, say, when we claim and confess that Jesus is Lord of our life and believe that in our heart, that at that moment that we confess and we surrender, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. And we call, you know, that's, that's the moment where we see the living water come alive. That now we have an advocate to help us communicate with the Father, to understand what's going on. And so Jesus is speaking into this and he's saying this to this woman. And it's, it's just, it's such a powerful, powerful thing because all of a sudden her response is just like all of us in the church. She goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, give me that water. Then I'll never have to come back to this well again. Like that's what, how a lot of us treat Jesus. That's how a lot of us approach the cross is we kind of, we pull close during these seasons. It's like everything's going wrong and, and we need Jesus and we need purpose and we need help and we need to figure out what's going on. And so we kind of come to church and we slide in and we're here a couple weeks and we start getting in some relationships and we start getting some good people around us and all of a sudden things go, get a little bit better and we kind of just drift, right? That's what we do. And so we're like, we have the right response when tragedy comes. We have the right reaction when those moments come. You go to the cross. You run to Jesus. But a lot of times is we are treating Jesus like this cosmic genie. Like, hey, fix my problems, please. Rub that lamp. And we do that with him. And then all of a sudden things go away. And we've, we've, what we have is we have a religious system. Jesus is on Sunday and every other day is us. And this woman is just like that. She goes, whoa, give me that water. Give me the living water. Give me the solution. So I don't have to come back to this well in the middle of the day like I've been doing for so long. I'm so done with this routine. Right? She's, she's done with it. But she wants it because of the solution that she doesn't have to be out there in the hot day because she's out there avoiding people, avoiding the town, avoiding the talk. And she's like, I'm done with this. Yeah, I want the living water. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. There's more. And so they go back and forth and Jesus gets right to the heart of her pain and he goes, hey, go and get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And so a lot of, it's been projected on the story. A lot of us is saying, hey, she's, she's kind of, she's a woman who gets around. She goes from one man to the next. And, you know, you'd be projecting a lot to say that about the story. Because the truth is, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. What we can agree is that this woman is an outcast to this town. She's an outcast to society. She's lost and she's troubled. We could go back and say, why does she have five husbands? Well, if we look at tradition, we would understand that, man, maybe the first husband passed away. And then, she, and then the next guy married her. And then he passed away. And so all of a sudden, this woman's got a reputation that every husband she ends up with dies. So why would she marry the sixth guy? And I know that's a crazy, like, observation, but it, it, it wouldn't be that crazy. It really wouldn't. This woman is distraught. She's, she's in trouble. She's here at the well in the middle of the day. We don't know exactly why, but we know that she's searching for something. And Jesus does not mess around. He says, hey, I'm not going to continue to go around this anymore. I'm going right to your pain, woman. I'm going right to it. And this is what causes so many of us to kind of keep Jesus at an arm's length. We put Jesus out here. We're like, hey, I, I don't want you. 
Like, I kind of like you when you're here for the quick fixes, but if you start to come into my life and you start doing all this crazy, uh, no, I'm going to keep you there. You're not coming for the pain, Jesus. No. You stay right there. You're good on Sunday. If you come any further than that, then you're not that good. He's like, no, 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 I'm so good. That he, he's unrelentless in his pursuit of us. He doesn't let up the gas. He just keeps going and going and going. And so he comes after this woman and the woman's like, oh, well, okay, you must be a prophet. You must, you must be a prophet. You know this. Why you guys worship there? We worship here. It's all this theological talk. And then all of a sudden she goes, you know what? When the Messiah gets here, he'll tell us. And that's when Jesus goes, I'm the Messiah. And they've been anticipating the Messiah. I mean, that's, that's kind of where the hope is at, that this Messiah, this one day Messiah is going to show up on the scene and deliver them from the Roman impression that, uh, that they're under. And Jesus shows up and he says, I'm the Messiah, but it's more than that. She's saying, he's saying to her, he's like, hey, I am the answer and I'm the solution. I'm the beginning and I'm the end and I'm your hope and I can do this. I'm everything you need. I'm that guy. And at that moment where he says this and he confesses to the woman, the disciples show up on the scene and it's like, it's kind of awkward because you don't be around women, like we've said, alone. And they show up and there you got all these thoughts going through the head and it says the woman left her water jar and booked it for the town. The very reason she came to that well for the water is actually what she left there to go back to the town. I think that's what happens when Jesus gets into your life. You kind of forget about everything else when you experience the presence of God and where he's moving and how he's shaking things loose in your life. And so she goes back to the town and tells all the, tells all the people and all of a sudden they come storming back, right? They come, they come and be a part of this and they're like, what are you? You've seen the Messiah? He knows everything about this woman? I mean, can you imagine? This woman's got a reputation. She comes storming into town. She's like, this guy, I met him. He's told me everything I've ever done. They're like, whew, she's got a lot of baggage. This guy must be a prophet. Can you imagine? I mean, that's the reputation she carries, that her, that Jesus meets her and encounters her and a whole town would come out to see him because of that. Man, that's wild. That's crazy. You know, I've been... I've been in this season and it's been one of the toughest things, but where I found the most healing, as I said, is in this time with God. And I see Jesus in this story, looking at this woman and going, bring your pain to me. Bring your pain to me. And I think we take that pain and we numb it, right? We do all kinds of things, as I've said, but we do, we numb the pain. We avoid the pain. We keep it us and we start stuffing the pain in different places. And God goes, you are, you know, like you're gonna experience pain in this life, but you gotta bring it to me. Don't go elsewhere with it. Don't go trying to stuff it and be tough and do all this. No, 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 bring it to me. Bring it to me. And so I don't know where you go with your pain. I don't know what you do, but you gotta take it to the king. You gotta take it to the king. And so I just want, I'm going to close with one last thought and invite the worship team up here. Um, you know, what's, what's so powerful about this story 
And what I see is at sunrise, we, you know, we want to be intentional. We want to be, uh, we want to lead you in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And as Keith, Pastor Keith said earlier, you know, we have this connect stage and we have this grow stage, right? And serve and lead. And when we look at this connect stage, what we see over here is we call this the come and see stage. Like that's all it is. It's come and see. When Jesus first showed up to his disciples, when he comes on the scene and is one of his first encounters with them, he's like, hey, come and see. Just come check it out. Come see where I'm living. Come see what I'm doing. No attachments. Nothing. And I'm going to tell you what, the church is bad because we speak against that a lot of the time. We're like, oh man, they're not coming to church. I can't believe it. No, no, no. It's come and see. Jesus did it. You're just going to come and see. There's no, there's no arrangements. There's no nothing. You don't have to give money. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just can come and see who Jesus is. You can just come and see. But as you experience who Jesus is, I'm going to tell you, he's going to change you. Because it happens to everyone. Everyone that encounters Jesus experiences transformation in some way. They experience the living water. But then we get to our next step, and that's where the come and follow happens. It's like that's where a little bit more commitment happens. And, and that's why a lot of us, we just kind of stay in this come and see moment because we're afraid of that come and follow. It's like, well, am I going to end up in the Amazon jungle with one pair of underwear and saying the gospel, and that's all I've got? I mean, that's, that's what we're afraid of. And, I, and I, don't, I get it because I was afraid. Like, I didn't want to go that far with God. And we, we, we sit there and we, and we put God at that arm's length because we're afraid of who he is and what he's going to do. Because the truth is, we really haven't experienced him at a come and see level. And where we find this story, John 4, in the midst of the, all this discipleship track and all these moments of where the disciples are following Jesus and is right between come and see and come and follow. That's where John 4 lies. And I think that's beautiful because what I see is Jesus is creating a moment. He's creating a moment, not only for the woman, as we've talked about, but for his disciples. He's creating a moment where, you know, these disciples at this point have seen him heal people. They've seen him go to people that he shouldn't be around. He's broken every rule. He's broken every kind of thing that you shouldn't be doing. He's, I mean, he's going through Samaria. You don't do that. And as we see this happen, as we see this unfold, Jesus is creating a moment where these disciples can experience who the Father is, how great the Father is, how perfect the Father is, that he's not like their earthly dads. He's not like some, some religion that they've been following. He's not just for Sundays, but he's actually good. And he doesn't want to just be religion one day, life the other day. He actually wants to do a relationship. He wants to be intertwined with you. And he is not going to force you to come and follow. He loves you so much that it's like, man, I'm not going to force you. But when you experience how much I love you, you're going to take that next step with me. You're going to do it because you're going to realize how good I am. I just want you guys to experience a moment where Jesus can get to your soul. And I, I think he's working. I think he's moving. I, I don't even think that. I know that because we all have got pain in our lives. And tonight when I even said, what are you avoiding? I mean, we all get a pit in our stomach. It's like, yeah, yeah. And so I just want to invite you into a moment of surrender tonight. Um, 
Jesus creates a moment with this woman that changes the entire town. He creates a moment with his disciples that take them all the way from come and see to come and follow. And some of you, I just want to create a moment for you where you can just surrender. Because I've realized that that is like most of my mornings when I get up and I spend time with the Father and I'm sitting there and I'm wrestling out my day and I'm wrestling out my conversations, it can take me so long to get to this point and go, all right, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender. This is how I want it to go. This is what I want to ha- I surrender. And it takes me like an hour. It could take me two hours with God trying to just surrender. And so I just want to invite you into a moment, but I want to invite you, those of you into a moment that maybe have never accepted Jesus for the first time, that have never surrendered your life to him, to do that with us as a church, as a body, as a family. So I'm gonna have you bow your heads, close your eyes, and we're gonna do this together. And so if, you, if you've never said these words before, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna pray these words and you can just say them with me, but basically we're just surrendering our lives to God. And so I'm just inviting you into this moment. Father, we pray that we would surrender our lives to you. We have sin in our life and we have wrong and we have made mistakes, Lord. But your grace is sufficient. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future. And we wanna make you the Lord of our life. We believe in your death and resurrection, that it's real. Amen.